This is Mishmash, a weekly conversation where we try to unjumble an important and sometimes under-the-radar statewide story that affects you. I'm Shayna Roth, and I'm joined this week by a brand new voice to the show, Stella Yu, state political reporter for Bridge, Michigan. Welcome! Thank you. Thank you for having me. Today we're talking about the Mackinac Policy Conference. It's the time of year where if you're a Michigan politics watcher, your Twitter feed explodes with pictures of rocking chairs on front porches, horses, and fudge as the who's who of Lansing hauls their agenda up to Mackinac Island. One of the big draws of the conference is all of the lawmakers and policy advocates being in one place at the same time. There's very few places to hide on the island, as Governor Gretchen Whitmer pointed out. And if you're coming back, remember, this is not Vegas. What happens on Mackinac will be reported in Cranes next week. (laughs) And on this podcast. Stella, there's been a lot of press conferences going on this week, particularly with Governor Gretchen Whitmer. What has been some of the themes and what have you learned from them? What stood out to me is this um, emphasis on development and infrastructure building um, in Michigan. You've seen the joint press conference um, between uh, Governor Whitmer and uh, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, um, where they were touting this federal infrastructure package and how it could help boost Michigan's infrastructure building. Um, And you've also seen this $2 billion investment from Ford, and that is uh, almost a year after Michigan lost a significant Um, investment, billion-dollar investment um, to West Tennessee uh, when I was still there, actually, covering state politics. So then you see this um, announcement from Ford um, emphasizing that they indeed will build more EV plants in Michigan. They will boost their presence in Michigan. And so perhaps this is because the conference is hosted by the Detroit Regional Chamber, and so you have to talk business. But also I think that reflects um, just how important you know, infrastructure and economic development as a whole, how important that is to uh, Michigan voters. Um, I think according to a Detroit Chamber poll, that is the top issue for a lot of the respondents. Um, And so the emphasis of those press conferences as a whole carries a lot of weight. And of course, on the island, it's a chance for reporters to get one-on-one time with policymakers that they might not otherwise get, or it might be a lot more difficult to get. Bridge got one-on-one time with Governor Whitmer, where she said she needed more time to fulfill her campaign promise to, quote, fix the damn roads. During that one-on-one interview, she told us that she's, quote, never suggested that in one term we could fix decades of underinvestment. And so, yeah, it is kind of interesting because she did run on the platform. And when she got elected, um, she did say that this kind of reflects voters' urge to fix the damn roads. So for critics, I mean, that's an easy way for them to attack, right? Because um, critics are saying that comment from Whitmer is moving the goalpost on some of her campaign promises, and all of a sudden she needs more time. I think from Whitmer's perspective, um, you also see an opportunity to speed things up a little bit, because right now there's billions of dollars coming in from the federal level, and I mean, that's just a windfall for Michigan. One would hope that that could speed things up, Um, but there are also a lot of experts saying that the federal money could probably last us until, you know, 2026 or 2027, because um, in the meantime, more long-term fixes might be needed. Um, and so one of the experts uh, we talked to, 
He has suggested that maybe we can consider a tax model called vehicle miles traveled tax, which means the taxation on travel no longer depends on which energy source you use, but should be based on you know, how many miles you have traveled on the road, it's kind of like a user fee, so to speak. Um, and so I, I think the House proposed budget included a line item to do a study on that. So maybe that suggests that there is some interest in the legislature. Uh, but we're also seeing that um, we're also seeing the legislative leadership still in negotiation with the governor. And so that might take some time and that might change. This was your first time at the Mackinac Policy Conference. Uh, I, As someone who has never actually gotten to go, I've always been the reporter stuck in Lansing, you know, keeping up on everything for all the people who stayed behind. What What did you think of the of the conference? It was a lot. Um, I think it's it's definitely a really good location, right? Especially during the summer. I mean, it actually gets a little bit chilly up here. And I mean, you see the horses, you see the you know, you see the water. Um, it's a very soothing place to be. But the conference itself is also very intense um, because, I mean, especially for me, who's trying to build sources and say hi to everyone, introduce my face to people that might, you know, read us or might become a source one day, that is actually quite challenging. So for example, I passed by U.S. Senator Gary Peters not knowing who he was because I didn't recognize his face. He does have a very everyman look, just to be fair. (laughs) Right? Yeah, I know. And then I also passed by U.S. Rep. uh, Alyssa Slotkin not knowing who that was because I wasn't paying attention because I was paying attention to probably the horse taxi or the millions, you know, like the hundreds of thousands of faces, I guess, around me. And so, no, it was it was it was a lot to take in. Um, But I would say, yeah, I mean, after I after now that I've been through it, I feel like um I feel like I've I've kind of learned. I, I I have built a lot of sources. I have introduced myself to a lot of people, um, and I have just stumbled upon a lot of people. Like I would meet a lawmaker accidentally at the Pink Pony, or another lawmaker at another restaurant. You know, um, it, you know, either you know, right before midnight or something like that. Um, so I would say, yeah, it's a. It, I mean, overall, for a political reporter. Um, I think it has been a good experience. I'm curious about something that you tweeted um, this week. You said, quote, half of the waiting staff I see here are Asian. I'm the only Asian here participating at the conference. And this was in response to a tweet from Samuel J. Robinson of Axios about a, quote, racist atmosphere intentionally crafted by the Grand Hotel that all Mackinac Policy conference participants tolerate. There's a lot there, I think, to unpack. And I'm curious about about your tweet and how it felt being one of the only Asian people participating in the conference. So I, I didn't really feel that until, well, actually, you know, I felt it quite right off the bat because I went to the Grand Hotel. Um, and even before that or after that, I can't remember, it's all a blur. But I went to a reception and then I noticed like all of the staff there were people of color. And I noticed, I mean, as an Asian reporter, I notice a lot of my own people. Um, and yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, obviously you see a lot of um, black 
waiting staff as well. So you see this dynamic and I don't know, I just kind of felt a little bit uncomfortable at first when I first saw it. And I pointed out to my colleagues and my colleagues were like, oh, no way, you feel the same way. So yeah, I feel like people to some extent notice that. Um, but I do think this is something that we need to talk about. Um, I've had some conversations with um, both, you know, uh, people of color, my colleagues, right? And then um, sources, you know, who are white. Um, and I've also talked to some of the migrant workers that got hired here. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's certainly the aspect of, you know, migrant workers in demand and they're coming here. Uh, they're seasonal workers and they're coming here to make some money. But there's also the larger picture, I think, um, where you see this dynamic of mostly white participants and mostly, you know, people of color waiting staff. And so as I don't know, as a first timer, I guess my first question was, why is this the case? Um, why isn't there more? I guess, diversity. And why, why do I feel this degree of separation? Um, or like, I, why do I feel this kind of segregation to some extent? And so, yeah, so I talked to a migrant worker yesterday. Um, he's from the Philippines and he told me, yeah, I mean, he's, he's learning the rope here and this is his eighth, ninth year here. And he's trying to build up a resume. He's trying to build up his experience and he's using this as a stepping stone so that he can one day go back to the Philippines and open a restaurant of his own. But at the same time, I've had a lot of white folks telling me, oh, yeah, you know, they're they're making money. I see this racial dynamic, but no, they're making money. They love to be here. So my question is, and I don't really have an answer for this, but my question is, to what extent can this economic incentive justify this jarring racial dynamic that we're seeing at the hotel that has lasted for decades and decades. And is there something to be done about it? I really have no idea. But yeah, it just it just gets me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I would imagine that it absolutely would. And I feel like it, Lansing in general, as far as the politics of it, it is still a very much a white majority from lawmakers to staffers to lobbyists. There's still predominantly white people. And I think that that realization or that reality becomes even more stark when you put them in this luxe seasonal place where everybody or most of the people waiting on them are people of color. And I think that's something that every year people kind of maybe notice, but nobody talks about with this conference. Yeah, I think that's the case. And maybe people talk about it, but I, I don't think people ever talk about it on a, I don't know, like a public platform necessarily mm -hmm. or yeah. to a greater extent. I guess people whisper about it. People feel weird about it. But after they go home... They may have forgotten about it. But but I mean, to MLive's credit, actually, in 2021, they did this story about how the Grand Hotel um, turned to migrant workers when it was facing labor shortage. So they did do a story about that. And I, um, I've, I've read it and it was a great piece. I do hope people can explore various angles of this phenomenon, either culturally or economically. 
Um, like I said, I don't know the answer, but I'm, I'd be happy to, you know, dig deeper and explore deeper and have more conversations with people. I guess that's, that might be the first step. Yeah. And I really hope you do. And anything you write on that, I'd be very excited to read it because your writing is phenomenal. Um, And before we close out the podcast, I was curious about something that happened uh, the other night, late into the night. Hopefully you've still got some brain cells left for this. The GOP debate. You covered it along with a lot of other people. This was, uh, I believe, the first debate with the very much whittled down (laughs) number of GOP candidates. Just big picture, anything worth, worth taking away from that? Or were they all just sort of saying the same things over and over again. I was hoping to see more sparks between the attendees. I mean, I know it was just four of them mm. up there. Um, originally, it was a, it was such a crowded field. We once had 10 candidates from the GOP, and now it's narrowed down to four on the debate. Um, five are qualified so far. But yeah, I mean, I was, especially with Tudor Dixon and Kevin Rinke, I mean, they have been pointing fingers at each other for quite some time. So I was wondering why that didn't show up during the debate. It was very much a very civil debate. And um, to my understanding, I think t- their answers to each question varied to some extent. But um, to my understanding, it was just different ways to say the same piece. Like, for example, um, all four of them believed that there was massive election irregularities, which is false because, um, you know, local audits, um, a Republican-led investigation into the election, none of that found evidence of such massive election fraud. Um, But yeah, all four of them believed that um, they varied slightly on guns. And I think that's interesting. And that's where we've that's the focus of our story from yesterday is on gun laws. Of course, it comes, you know, just days after the Texas shooting, right, school shooting. And I mean, it it hits home for Michigan, too, because we had Oxford shooting. Mm -hmm. We had the Oxford shooting not so long ago. Um, but yeah, yesterday a lot of the uh, candidates were saying that they shouldn't blame guns and they don't think there's the need to strengthen or tighten uh, gun laws. And instead, they're blaming the shooters and they they are putting the stress on mental health and they're saying there's a mental health crisis and that is the problem. So on gun laws, several of them have proposed a solution, which is to arm teachers with guns or to put some school safety officers in school. But I guess what intrigues me then is this question of whether the the theory of, you know, quote, a good guy with a gun still stands after what we saw in Texas, which was, you know, police didn't really enter the school and respond to the shooter until more than an hour after he breached the school. So yeah, so when I asked them, you know, whether there's need for other safety precautions, I mean, some of them did say, yeah, sure. I mean, maybe we'll implement um, like this one entry uh, process so that you can, you can have one entry and the gunman could not gain access easily. Uh, that is one of the solutions that they proposed. But actually all of them are saying there's no need for 
you know, red flag laws or safe storage laws because that would block access for a good citizen to pick up their gun and defend their home, uh, which is a common argument that we see on the conservative side. And I do think that is uh, that is the interesting takeaway that I've had. Yeah. That's kind of how these things go. It seems like they're in, they all know what their talking points are and how to stay in the party favor. And then it all just becomes, you know, what tiny little thing that people glom onto that makes them that person their preferred candidate. So who knows? We shall see. Stella Yu from Bridge, Michigan. Thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a very long week for you. So thank you very much for joining me here on Mishmash. No problem. Thank you. Get some sleep. Oh,